Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to this fifth podcast in my CBT for Low Mood series. You may have listened to the others in the series already, or you may have picked out this one. Either way is fine. For this podcast, most of what I'll talk about should stand on its own, although you may find that listening to the others will give you some helpful background. The theme for this one came from a CBT group I run in the counselling service. In the past, students in the group have often said something along the lines of, these techniques are great, but when I'm feeling really low, when I'm in a crisis, it feels almost impossible to put them into practice. What do I do then? So, here are my top tips. First off, what do I mean by a crisis? Well, there's no singular definition here, and just like the term depression, it'll mean different things for different people. I guess I'm thinking here about the real holes of depression, the times when you feel most overwhelmed or hopeless, when it's hard to keep going or feel okay about yourself. If you've listened to the other podcasts, you may remember me talking about negative core beliefs, basically our deepest fears about ourselves and the world. I'm inadequate, I'm unlikable, I'm fundamentally crap in this or that way and things will never work out. It's when these beliefs seem to us to be true, and again, I emphasize the seem, that we're at our most vulnerable, when we're really in the grip of these self-attacking, shame-laden thoughts. And of course, it's not just a cognitive thing. When our core beliefs light up, we feel all the horrible feelings that come with them. Often there's a kind of mental time travel that goes on in these moments as painful memories are activated. Core beliefs have their roots in prior experiences, and we all carry our childhood selves and their wounds with us, no matter how old we are. Feelings of shame often lurk in the shadows of depression and can be powerful in moments of crisis as the inner critic is unleashed. But there might be a whole cocktail of feelings. Anxiety, dread, sadness, numbness, anger. Sometimes strong negative emotions find their expression in behaviour. We may withdraw, fail to look after ourselves, or find ourselves drawn towards risky or harmful coping strategies. Relationships can become turbulent at these times too. Indeed, relationship issues are often the trigger for a crisis, and we can find ourselves caught in complicated layers of feeling, our own and other people's, and struggling to communicate effectively. So, on to my top tips. Tip number one. Try to anticipate a crisis. Now I'll acknowledge straight off that this is easier said than done, and not always possible. Life has a habit of surprising us, often there's little we can do to prepare. But sometimes we can clue ourselves up a little. Sometimes there are patterns we can notice, triggers we can watch out for. Times of transition, for example, such as going home for the vacation or coming back to Oxford, can often be tricky. New beginnings and goodbyes, exams and assessments, Significant dates, anniversaries, holidays and celebrations. Physical factors that may make you more vulnerable, such as lack of sleep, illness or hormonal factors. It's worth giving some thought to the kinds of situations that might predispose you to a crisis. It won't necessarily prevent the crisis, but if you've preempted it, then that can help you put things in place before things really start to slide. 
There are various tools and exercises available to help you reflect on your own risk factors and the early warning signs of a deterioration in your mental health and to plan things you can do to help yourself at these times. A safety plan is a particularly helpful thing to consider if you're prone to self-destructive impulses. It's basically a note to yourself which sets out all the things you can do to look after and keep your future self safe when that future self may be less able to think these things through in the moment. At the end of the document version of this podcast, I've listed a number of useful links and resources, including a safety plan template. Tip number two, recognize a crisis for a crisis. You don't have to call it a crisis. You might not like that word, or it might not fit for you in that moment. What I'm getting at here really is the importance of noticing when your mental health needs prioritizing and doing just that. It can be easy to bury your feelings when things get shaky, to resort to avoidance strategies or push yourself to keep on keeping on. Take work, for example. I see a lot of students who get into a habit of overworking despite signs that it's taking its toll. Others fall into a very stuck place with work, struggling to face it and the feelings associated with it. There's no perfect balance, and we're all prone to avoidance, but when it comes to a crisis, this is your body and mind giving you a clear signal. Something needs to change. Your usual rules and expectations for yourself may not be workable at the moment. You may need to break some habits. Give yourself permission to listen to your feelings. Tip number three, remember that thoughts are thoughts. This has been a theme in these podcasts, and it's that central tenet of CBT. Thoughts are not equivalent to facts. Now, there may well be very real, factual circumstances that have contributed to a crisis. Usually there is some precipitant. But to me, what turns it into a depressive crisis is when the meaning we ascribe to those facts plunges us deeper and deeper into a hole. Maybe it's all your fault. Maybe things will never go right for you. Maybe you've been kidding yourself all along and you really are a fake. These are the pernicious, depressive thoughts that drag you down. Now, I talked in earlier podcasts about ways of spotting these kinds of thoughts and introduced a couple of techniques to help you loosen their grip on you. Thing is, when you're in crisis mode, it is pretty hard to implement them. The thoughts seem very real, feel very real, and your capacity to weigh them up and look at different perspectives diminishes. And there's a biological effect here. Under high levels of stress, the prefrontal cortex, the bit of the brain involved in reasoning, working memory and attention regulation, functions less well. And priority is given to the emotional center of the brain, the amygdala. So going through some of the more cognitively demanding aspects of CBT is probably going to be tricky. My advice here, even if it's hard to challenge your depressive thoughts, if it's hard to see a different perspective in that moment, you can still hold on to the possibility there might be another way of thinking. In other words, you don't have to be persuaded of a different viewpoint. You don't even have to know what it might be. You just have to hold on to the possibility there might be one. And this is more a leap of faith than a change in your thinking. You can come back to those thoughts when you're more able to think them through. For now, You've just got to get through the crisis. Tip four, focus on behavior rather than thoughts. It's often easier to change your behavior rather than your thinking during a crisis. Not easy, 
but easier. And this is important because how you behave has a massive impact on how you think and feel. If you act with hatred towards yourself, it reinforces the idea there are hateful things about you. So do your best to act with kindness towards yourself, even if you don't feel that way. I'm not saying that tender, soothing feelings will inevitably follow, but it might just take the edge off more destructive impulses. What do I mean by acting with kindness towards yourself? Well, everyone will have a different version of this. Imagine you're putting together an emotional first aid kit for yourself. What would you want in it? It might be particular songs or books or films or poems. It might be relaxation or meditation exercises or games or people you can reach out to or whose voices you can bring to mind, places you can visualize where you feel safe and comfortable. Take some time to compile your own first aid kit, whether a, you know, a physical box or just in your own mind, and turn to it in a crisis. Tip five. Look to your body to turn the emotional temperature down. This is kind of linked to the last suggestion, but I think deserves its own separate point. Emotions are bodily experiences as much as they are psychological, and when they run high, there are profound physical consequences. It's easy to forget it, maybe particularly in a place like Oxford, where you have to be in your head so much of the time, but we are animals, and we have animal brains and animal bodies, and emotions serve a physiological adaptive function. They're designed to gear us up for some kind of action. And when strong emotions reach a certain pitch, they act as a powerful force for directing our behavior and our thoughts. So if you're feeling overwhelmed with emotion, it's often a good idea to try and bring the emotional temperature down a notch or two by soothing your body. Again, there are lots of ways to do this. Sometimes sensory distractions work well getting outside, changing your environment, a walk or a run or a shower or bath, anything that just helps to ease your physiological stress. Equally, if you're feeling very depressed and depleted and you know unable to get out of bed, it can often be really helpful to take some small, concrete, physical steps towards activating yourself. A walk around the quad, tidying your room, preparing a simple meal. Do your best to see to the basics, sleep, food, self-care and whatnot. It won't necessarily solve things, but neglecting them is almost guaranteed to make things worse. Tip six, remember that healing and growth can come from pain. Now, again, in the midst of a crisis, this may be hard to see. But, in my experience, often a crisis can be a pivotal moment and the gateway in time to important insights or changes. And it may well take time, lots of it. There may be many crises, many setbacks, misfortunes, mistakes. But if you can hang on to the idea that perhaps there is ultimately some meaning to be found through these experiences and give yourself that time, it can give you a powerful anchor in the midst of a storm. One of the things in my own emotional first aid kit is the music of Nick Cave. Asked what advice he'd give to his 16-year-old self, Nick Cave acknowledged a wish to protect him from suffering, but went on to say the following. My older and more experienced self 
also knows that the painful things are often the things that ultimately give substance and meaning to life. My older self knows that life's mistakes are destiny's ways of laying the tracks that will bring my younger self to the place where I am at this very moment, the mostly happy place. Tip seven, reach out for support. No surprise, perhaps, that this is one of my tips. And for a whole bunch of reasons, having support is probably the number one thing that's gonna help you through a crisis. It's worth saying, though, support can come in lots of different forms and from lots of different people. It may be emotional support from a trusted friend or family member. It might be company and distraction. Or it might be professional support, a counselor, or a helpline, a GP or a member of your college welfare team. All of the Oxford colleges have designated members of staff whose roles include pastoral and welfare support. If you haven't already done so, check out your college website for details of who this is. Your GP is a key port of call for mental as well as physical health and can make onward referrals to mental health services. Outside of surgery hours, you can call 111 or in a life-threatening emergency, for example, if you feel worried about keeping yourself safe, you can go to an accident and emergency department or call 999. Attached to this podcast is a list of these and other contacts. If you're someone who struggles to talk about how you're feeling or to reach out for support, as a lot of us do, it's worth remembering that you have choices here. Think about who you feel able to talk to, what you might need to say, how you might initiate that conversation. Opening up can feel risky, but if you are in a crisis, not doing so is probably going to be even more risky. This is a time to ask for help. Tip number eight, reach for self-compassion. There's now a whole body of research attesting to the importance of self-compassion for mental health and a whole therapeutic approach based on it. I just want to mention a particular aspect of it here which is the capacity it affords us to look beyond and through suffering and shame at our shared and flawed humanity. Dr. Kristen Neff has a wonderful website full of resources on self-compassion, which I'll link to in the transcript, but I'll just share here a quote from her. Things will not always go the way you want them to. You will encounter frustrations. Losses will occur. You will make mistakes bump up against your limitations, fall short of your ideals. This is the human condition, a reality shared by all of us. The more you open your heart to this reality, instead of constantly fighting against it, the more you will be able to feel compassion for yourself and all your fellow humans in the experience of life. Tip number nine, find what works for you. Now this is by no means an exhaustive list. I hope it's given you some ideas, but pick and choose, find what works for you and find your own way. There is no one right way to cope in a crisis. And just as we all have our own vulnerabilities, we all have our own sets of needs and coping strategies. Invest time in thinking about what helps you. As our director, Rotomi Akinseti puts it in his aptly named book, This Book Could Help, no matter who you are, there will be difficulties in your life. Be sure that you respect them. Respect your part in dealing with them. And respect what you need in order to do that. 
Finally, tip 10. Focus on the here and now. I like to read this short poem by Lem Sisse to members of my CBT group, which I think says it perfectly. How do you do it? said Knight. How do you wake and shine? I keep it simple, said Light. One day at a time. Look after yourselves, and thanks for listening.